All right, all right, day 254. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith. And remember, this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right, so we're going to jump right in today to the book of Mark. And so the book of Mark is the first written gospel, right? Um, And so it is uh, the first written gospel. It is a fast-paced gospel, and it is going to tell us about the life, ministry, death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus and the kingdom he came to bring. And Mark here is concerned with the actions and deeds of Jesus, right? In fact, Mark won't really tell you about Jesus. He will show you Jesus and lead you to make and let you be the one who makes conclusions. And one of the things that Mark is going to really focus on is he's going to focus on the demonstration of the kingdom. Jesus is bringing his kingdom on earth and he is going to show you how he demonstrate his kingdom, demonstrates his kingdom in his life and in his deeds and in his work uh, for us. And so um, tradition believes that Peter gave Mark all of the necessary material to compose this gospel. And so uh, many people would say uh, this is just uh, uh, a gospel written by Mark from Peter's perspective, right? So uh, if you read like First Peter, you'll see so many uh, theological and thematic parallels, especially as it regards to uh, Christ's suffering and his passion uh, on behalf of humanity. Now, what's interesting is that Mark is trying to show Jesus as this king from Daniel 7. He's trying to show that he is the son of man. That is Jesus's favorite designation of himself. He also wants to show he's the Davidic king, right? The one from the line of David, the one that Isaiah talks about a ton and Psalm 2 talks about a ton. And lastly, though, he wants to show that Jesus is the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, right? And this suffering servant is going to bring a new exodus for his people. Remember I said before that the kingdom of God in the Old Testament, the future kingdom of God that was to come for the people of God, that the people of God had been waiting on, was 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 involved a new exodus, a new creation and victory over evil, right? And um you see here uh and, and also it, it involved the forgiveness of sins, that's the other thing. The forgiveness, the full and final forgiveness of sins. And so the first 8 chapters, the first uh 8 chapters shows who Christ is his authority, his earthly ministry, eight, this the second half of eight, uh, all the way to 10 is going to show dis- discipleship and the travel narrative, right? He's traveling to, to Jerusalem to accomplish his mission at the cross. And then 11 to 16 is his passion, right? The last week of his life, the narrative is going to slow down painfully and drastically to uh, lead us uh, with Jesus to the cross. It's interesting too. History also says that after Paul's execution, my man Mark moved to Egypt and establishes uh, churches there in Africa as well. So, uh, just some background on Mark and the gospel of Mark. So we hop right into the text. It says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. Stop right there. The very first line of Mark's gospel fam essentially tells us what his gospel is about, right? It's the entire book is literally the good news, right? The euvangelion, right? of Jesus Christ. And this word has so much meaning and baggage and uh, content poured into it, but we have to look at it in its original context. Many of us say today, no, no, I believe in the gospel, but in both the Old Testament and in Greek literature, right? Evangelion, listen, was commonly used of reports of a victory from the battlefield. So in other words, Isaiah 52 uh, verse seven, right? Is a great Old Testament example of this. And this word, Again, has a ton of meaning poured into it, but it actually has an ancient context, right? And here, just like in Isaiah, it points to God's final and climactic rule and reign that is a saving act as well, 
right? Yes. In which he will gain victory, right? God is going to be going to be the one who gains victory over Satan, over sin, and the kingdoms of this world through the advent of his kingdom and the reign of his king. And Jesus is the one who brings this, right? This is the the miraculous news that Mark is trying to bring show. Like Jesus is the one who brings this. The kingdom of God, the new age has dawned with the person and work of Jesus Christ. And I love chapter one because as it goes on, it, it shows Jesus rehearsing the story of Israel in his person, right? He reruns the whole Old Testament, fam, <laughs> showing us that it, it, it was about him all along, right? And it's only fulfilled in him. So in the same way that Israel, listen, was baptized in the Red Sea, went through the wilderness and then into the promised land. You know what Jesus does in the first chapter of Mark? Jesus will come to be baptized in the Jordan, goes to the wilderness and enters the land of Galilee, which was where the northern tribes originally settled in the Old Testament. Right. And so in the same way, Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus will be in the wilderness being tempted for 40 days. Whole nine yards. Jesus is the fulfillment to the long story of promises that God had made to his people. And guess what he says in verse 16 or 15? The time is fulfilled <laughs> and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent. Hear this and believe the good news. Now, again, he uses the word gospel. Again, he used the word good news again. And one scholar makes a, a fascinating point. He says, yo, what, what does Jesus mean here when he says at the beginning of his ministry, without any hints of his death or his resurrection, that the good news has come? And we've said it before, right? The last days are here. The appointed time for God to bring his rule and reign on earth and his salvation is here, right? And this is why um, in this text, uh, the word they use for time is not chronos, right? It's not time, uh, linear time like we think. It's not chronological time. Chronos is where we get our word chronological from, but it's kairos. It's the appointed time, the appointed moment, the appointed season for God to bring his rule on earth. And I think, listen, I think what we can take from this is that any talk about the gospel has to deal with God's kingdom. It has to deal with the kingdom of God. Some of us don't talk like that when we talk about the gospel, right? And and this has a slew of in implications, right? But this is how Jesus talked about the gospel. It's funny. Um, even if you go look at the, all the other um, uh, gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, when you see Jesus go send his, his, his disciples out to preach or even how he sums up his message in ministry, it's always talking about uh, the kingdom. And again, we've defined the king, the kingdom of God as the king's power over the king's people in the king's place. And this reign that the king has, fam, has broken into history, right? And the kingdom, listen, listen, the kingdom is Christ's message and the cross is is Jesus's mission, right? That's a, that's a really good way to think about what Jesus does, right? He, the, the, the kingdom is his message and the cross is his mission. And we'll see how these uh, two are intertwined, right? All throughout um, the gospel. And I, I think the practical implication for the kingdom of God being um, about the gospel, listen, it's a king who wants us to live under his reign, his good, just, and perfect reign. And that's what we really long for, right? To live under the reign of a good, perfect, and just king. I'm still in chapter one <laughs> towards the end. Uh, Jesus preaches a ton. Verse 34 and 43 of this chapter. And you know what he does? He commands folks not to tell anyone. Right. So uh, this is this is something uh, in Mark called the messianic secret. And basically is Jesus performing a miracle. And because he was cautious about premature enthusiasm, right, uh, about who he was as the Messiah and the mission he came to accomplish and the kind specifically, the kind of Messiah or the kind of king that he was, he told people to be 
quiet. And listen, the common Jewish Jewish expectation there was there was there were numerous right Jewish Jewish expectations about a Messiah, but the common one was not for a suffering Messiah, <laughs> right? Like people didn't have that conception. That was the unexpected nature of what the king would be like that he would suffer, right? And that's why he waits until. Uh, uh, he announces he is about to die and rise, right? That he mentions openly from there that he is the Messiah. In other words, Christ doesn't want to be misunderstood, right? He is the God of the universe, but also Israel's suffering servant. And his kingdom is one that is paradoxical, one that uh, accomplishes his exaltation and glory through suffering, not apart from it, right? Mark chapter two, finally in Mark two. <laughs> In chapter uh, two, we have the conflict with the Pharisees, scribes, and religious leaders, right? As we characteristically do in the gospel. And it's this ever increasing opposition and resist resistance to the kingdom and the king, right? Who is bringing it. And so again, this first part is about Jesus's earthly ministry. So you see here, he, he heals a paralytic, right? Declares to him that his sins are forgiven, right? Which is questioned by the Pharisees, but notice the designation that Christ gives of himself, right? He proves that he has authority, Right. To forgive sins by the healing of his body. In other words, he's like, no, no, I'm the son of man. Right. And I'm going to give you something that is physically and empirically verifiable so that you believe the invisible and intangible reality that I'm speaking of. Jesus, by saying he is the son of man, that Jesus, by saying that he has authority to forgive sins, shows not just that he's a Messiah or an exalted figure, but that he is God himself. Right. And again, remember the context when the kingdom of God came, forgiveness of sins would be the thing that would be accomplished. Right. So Jesus is saying this in so many words, if only they had ears to hear. Right. And second, he calls Matthew the tax collector. Right. He says, no, come follow me. Right. And this provokes questioning by the Pharisees. It says this uh, two sixteen. It says when the when the scribes who were Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples. Now, notice that. Why does the why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Then you see what, what happens right after that. Jesus, um, um, you know, we ain't about to ask you a question. Uh, we finna ask something to your disciples. Right. Um, and so he's like, yo, why don't they fast as well? Right. So in other words, in these days, a teacher was often responsible for the behavior of his students. So in this text, we see, no, no, Jesus was asked about his disciples and then the disciples were asked about Jesus. Right. And so you see not just that Jesus is misunderstood. I guess the point here is this. It's that his people are often misunderstood. Right. And it's so crazy because, again, like following Christ um, often means being misunderstood in worldly categories and worldly terms. Right. Um and discipleship, listen, discipleship is a major theme in the gospel of Mark, right? And again, if our king was misunderstood, then surely those who are in his kingdom will be as well. The next few scenes happen really fast. And you so you have the grain on the Sabbath, the healing of a man on the Sabbath, right? And Mark is so brilliant because he tells his story so craftily, right? And in 220, we have the first illusion that speaks of Jesus's death. Right. And at the end of the stories, it speaks of the way that they want to and that they uh, plan to kill him. Right. So even here in the beginning of Mark, liter literarily, right, in, in terms of how the narrative is unfolding, uh, it's going to say that Jesus's ministry, ministry, even though he hasn't spoken about the cross, is under the shadow of the cross. Remember, the kingdom is Christ's message, but the cross is his mission. So he is constantly showing that he is one who is going to the cross right and uh we'll get more into it later how we <laughs> if we're following jesus must go to the cross 
and die to self and suffer and and, and serve and, and, and self-sacrifice as well if we're going to actually follow him. Chapter three comes. Jesus' name is buzzing, right? He's teaching folks, casting out demons. Everybody's pressing in on him to get a piece of Jesus. And what's super interesting in this text is that um, where he is in, in Mark chapter three, all of the areas he names, right? All of the regions that were, these are all of the regions that were originally possessed by the 12 tribes in the book of Joshua. Now, remember what I said before, Jesus is fulfilling all of the Old Testament promises to the people of God. Now in the prophets, they said, no, no, no. Like these 12 tribes will be restored. The land will be restored. All of this will be restored. And so Jesus is strategically moving here, right? And how he's doing this, right? Um, and so Christ, is a, in a sense giving back restoring back to his people the thing that they lost because of their sin right and that's the gospel right that's 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 the gospel that's what jesus does now what happens after this um right after this look what comes i love it it's so many layers because jesus gets 12 apostles <laughs> right so 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 right after he restores the the regions and the land that the 12 tribes occupy he gets 12 apostles that signifies the restoration of the 12 tribes Right. So Jesus is just just fulfilling all kind of Old Testament promises. And it's so neat and so nifty and so connected. Right. And I love it because one sense in one sense, we see Jesus. Right. He's blowing up ton of success. Right. Doing things, uh, all these things. And regardless of his acclaim, he still has his eye even in these texts, to the needy and to the poor, to the lame and to the marginalized and to the sick and to the destitute. And the question is, is do we? Right. The more clout we get, usually the more we hang with people that got clout. Right. The more clout we get, the more we try to put pictures on Instagram of people that got clout or people we want to impress. Right. Or people that can help us get more clout. Right. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. like that ain't the way the kingdom comes, Chief. That ain't the way we rock. Right. And it's so much. It's so good here because Jesus picks the, the, the worst team ever. Right. Jesus is not like LeBron James. He picks the worst team he could possibly get and accomplishes his worldwide mission. Right. A bunch of nobodies. Right. And, you know, uh, it, it's so interesting because, again, Mark shows Jesus calling these disciples and he shows that Jesus doesn't just want fans. Right. Like after all the people was buzzing in on him, he don't want fans. What Jesus really wants is followers. Right. And I think we need to remember it doesn't cost you anything to be a fan of Jesus. Right. Many people admire Jesus. Many people respect him. But Jesus is like, fam, that don't cost you nothing. Right. Think about it. You can cut the game off on TV if you're a fan of somebody and they ain't playing the way you want them to play. Right. But when you're a follower or when you're a disciple, you fully invested your life around this person. And this is what Christ calls his people to then and his people to now right and so again the kingdom is coming but it's coming in a paradoxical way right uh so so many things here victory over evil forgiveness of sins christ is accomplishing all of these things and he has this uh, debate with the religious leaders about the strong man and tying up the strong man again he's showing that he is bringing this victory over evil last chapter mark chapter four i'm way over time listen chapter four starts off with the parable of the sower Right. He'll interrupt the parable with an explanation with why he spoke in parables. Then he'll speak and actually explain the parable himself. Right. So good. So much is happening here. I love what he says in verse 13, though. He says, then he said to him, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? And it's essentially Jesus saying this is that this parable is actually foundational. Right. For what Jesus's ministry is about. Right. The response that Jesus wants 
is one that is hearing what he says, being attentive to what he says and actually responding to it and doing it right. In many ways, that is the essence of discipleship, hearing and doing the word under the king by the spirit and community. Right. And this leads us to produce fruit. Now, it's so funny because this parable he gives of the sower, if you pay attention carefully, uh, everybody that responds to Jesus responds to Jesus in the gospel of Mark in one of these ways of the parable. So, so interesting. Again, Mark is so crafty in the way he tells uh, his story, right? Um, and this parable, again, is the paradigm, right? It is somewhat, again, it, it, it foretells, right? All the, all the ways people respond to him even now, right? Uh, not just in the gospel of Mark. Um, and again, Leah, Jesus is doing a ton Right. He he's speaking the word to them. Right. He and they were able to understand him. And so Jesus is explaining the kingdom uh, to his disciples. Right. And I think uh, one of the things that the text is going to get at, it says uh, in verse 34, it says he did not speak to them without a parable privately. However, he explained everything to his own disciples. And so in other words, uh, basically, he's showing that 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 if you have the mystery of the kingdom revealed and unveiled to you, then you are in the kingdom but if you are unable to comprehend what he's doing that it actually to the to the extent that it actually leads you to reject what he's doing you've had you've not had the mystery of the kingdom unveiled to you right because there's a hiddenness to the kingdom right and jesus is showing like that the, the kingdom even now right like the kingdom uh the the way it 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 it, it moves uh, throughout the earth. There's a hiddenness to the kingdom where it's not fully revealed, but it is revealed spiritually to his people. And I think what, what Jesus wants us to know is that if you are a Christian and you are listening here, there was a moment when the light came on. There was a moment when when something Jesus said actually made sense to you and you could understand who he was and his words and what he's trying to do. Right. It was a moment. When he became yours and you his. Now, that may have been gradual that you may still be in that process right now. But God wants to reveal the secrets of the kingdom to you. And that's why he has sent his son for you. Right. That's why he sent his son for you. And the kingdom is coming in the way it comes. Listen, it's partially hidden here and even misunderstood. And it's ultimately paradoxical. It, 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 it is not the way we think a ruler and a king should come and accomplish a victory. Right. It's upside down. Right. But what is clear for them and for us is that even when it doesn't make sense to other people, even when Jesus doesn't make sense and even when people think we don't make sense. Right. We see the kingdom advances uh, by our collective hearing and doing the things of Jesus by the spirit uh, in community for his glory. Let's pray. God, we ask um, that we would give our ultimate allegiance to the King. God, give us grace today to do so. We thank you so much for your son, Jesus. It's a curse. Amen.